into the contest. It is Thursday, the 16th of June. Welcome to Afternoon Sport. Tim Gilbert here. I'm joined by my co-host Shane Lee. How are you, Shana? Good. I'm really good, Timmy. Now I see. Now I know you can't become a sir when you're an Australian citizen anymore, but. Uh, could there be Sir Peter Volandis yes. <laughs> over there in the UK? Yeah, yeah. I saw that story this morning, of course, Australian sporting royalty taking over the United Kingdom. He was in the uh, the royal procession at Royal Ascot. And uh, this follows what happened the other day with Nature Strip and that big mm. win by Chris Waller. And, uh, yeah, so uh, Australian sporting royalty in the United Kingdom. And uh, I think that um, PVL had lunch with the Queen as well. Wow. Well, I was lucky enough to, in 1999, prior to the World Cup, to go to Buckingham Palace. We had tea with the Queen, so that was a a very, very uh, significant point in my life and a a great experience. Extraordinary woman. Extraordinary. Whether you're a royalist Mm. or a Republican, I don't think it really matters. Just an astonishing lady, um, Queen Elizabeth. All right, we have a big show on the way. A couple of injuries for the Australian cricket team, while England cricket, well, they were in the woes out here just a few months ago. They are flying high at the moment and a big boxing win for Justice Hooney. Whether it's for early morning coffee and pastries, long business lunches or post-work cocktails, head to District Brasserie in Sydney's CBD. With a modern Australian menu created to hero locally sourced produce and a unique offering of charred meats cooked on a custom-built charcoal oven. Situated on the ground floor of Chifley Tower, District Brasserie is open from 6.30am Monday to Friday for breakfast, lunch and dinner. District Brasserie, sophisticated yet casual. A couple of injuries for the Australian cricket team uh, while Glenn Maxwell smashed the living daylights out of the ball. It's an interesting time in Sri Lanka. Yeah, more than a couple of injuries, Tim. You've got Marcus Stoinis injured and mm. Ashton Agar this last match. Um, they join Kane Richardson, who's gone home with a hamstring tear. Sean Abbott injured. Mitchell Marsh injured at the start of the tour. Um, so they've had to fly in now from the Australia Ray, and luckily they're over there. But um, Travis Head comes into the team, and Matthew Kuhlman, uh, young spinner, so he joins the squad. But you're dead right, mate. The Aussies still won this match. Uh, Maxwell, he, he's the X factor in that team, no doubt. Uh, set a tail of 301 originally off 50 overs, then Rain intervened. Uh, Australia then had their target reduced to 282 off only 44. And Maxwell came out and smashed 80 not out of 51 balls. Um, Finch chipped in with 44 off 41. Warner getting a second ball duck, but the Aussies getting the runs and get, getting um, getting that run chase, which is a great effort, 282 off 44. Oh, absolutely. I think um, staying on cricket but changing subjects, one of the most famous performances post-losing the captaincy of an international side, of course, was mm. Ian Botham in 1981 when uh, Mike Brilly came in and he unceremoniously was uh, dumped as captain of England and then boom, crash, opera. He just smashed the living daylights out of Australia, of course, and uh, that famous test match. Well, Joe Root, um, he is doing something very similar in the sense of he just feels and looks so liberated by the fact that he is not the leader anymore and he's just piling on the runs. He looks free, doesn't he? And uh, look... Um, being captain of the Australian cricket team is a big, big responsibility, and and I think in England it's even even more highlighted over there that the pressure on the captain, and you can just see the guy now that he no longer has that responsibility. 
Um, his last five test matches, he scored 400s. He, it's, it was 176 this test match. The first test, he scored 115. The prior two tests in the West Indies, he scored 109 and 153. He's getting big hundreds. He's just in the form of his life. And he'll go on, arguably, I haven't mentioned this before, Sachin Tendulkar has 15,000 test runs, the most in history. He's, a, he's the only guy probably that could actually chase him down, I reckon. What about Johnny Bairstow? Uh, he's uh, he's mm. in the record books. Uh, the fastest century since, what was it, 1902 or something? Some ridiculous yeah. thing? 1902. So he got 100 off 77 balls, ended up with 136 off 92. Mm. But this is a crazy test match. Look, England had lost 17 in a row prior to this series. New Zealand score 553 in the first innings. You should never lose a test match when you score 500. England responded with 539. They then bowl New Zealand out for 284, but still have to chase down 300. And they do that five down with Bairstow absolutely smashing him everywhere. And so England's gone from absolute you know, bottom of the heap to winning two tests in a row now and playing very well. It's amazing what winning gives you, isn't it? Confidence and momentum and all that stuff. Now, uh, looking at tennis, the US Open, both the Russian and the Belarusian players will be allowed to compete in New York. Uh, Different venues have different rules, but they'll be allowed to play. Yeah, they're not following suit uh, from Wimbledon. So the US Open, they will be free to play. So a big, big statement there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Rafael Nadal, mm. this is a lovely story, isn't it? Uh, his long-term partner, Siska Perello, and he are expecting their first bub, little Rafa. Yeah, congratulations. He's the current number one tennis player in the world, so he's two ahead of Federer and Djokovic, and uh, he's going to write Rafa, isn't he? He's got a, a lovely wife. She's a very pretty girl. They've got their first child in the way. He's got a boat the size of most people's houses and uh, he's worth a fortune and he's a great tennis player and seems like a very nice guy too so good on him yeah i wonder whether that uh, child will have a tennis racket in their hand very yeah I'm very sure. very early and nick Kyrgios on the other end of the tennis spectrum unveils a, a cryptic new tattoo mm. yeah well you know he's, he's not uh he's got a quote on his leg it's, it's not from uh one of the famous poets or uh you know Theorists of, of, uh, of, of Winston Churchill. Winston, Winston Churchill. It's from the movie The Joker, and it says, give a man a mask and he will become his true self. So I'm not, try, not sure what he's trying to say there, but it's some cryptic uh, – he might, he might just like the movie The Joker. Yeah, he may do. He may do, because he certainly <laughs> is one at times, that's for sure. And he uh, leaves you bewildered at times. Uh, AFL boxing, big boxing, and NRL coming up. Now, former number one pick uh, advises players to get out of North Melbourne. This this is uh, interesting advice, isn't it? And it's just another footnote to the story that is North Melbourne and the problems that they are having, this once mighty, mighty club. Mm. Yeah, well, this is coming from Jack Watts, who was the number one pick and went there originally, and he's gone back to his um, home state in Port Adelaide. Mm. He's suggesting that Horn Francis, who is the number one draft pick and currently playing at North Melbourne, does the same thing and gets out of there and goes back home. He said the pressure on him, he said, if your draft pick's 76 or 50, there's no real pressure on him. But when you're the number one draft pick and you're playing for a club that's losing every match like North Melbourne, and as you mentioned, Tim, they were um, a club that had... had a lot of success and won premierships and they're just really struggling now. 
he said it'd be really, really tough for Horn Francis to to do a good job, and he should get out of that club immediately. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what turns mm. it around for them. Uh, I know that we have discussed this whole issue with Corey McKernan over time, a former uh, mm. premiership player with North Melbourne, and the whole idea of rebuilding. But it doesn't look like they're going in the right direction. Uh, bad no. news for Luciano Lailua at the West Tigers. He was all set to go to the Cowboys, but um, there has been some flies in the ointment in this one. Was almost. He was on the plane, cabin crew, arm doors, and cross check, and they've said, uh, "Nah, mate, you're not quite. Re- you can't quite go yet because the Cowboys have some salary cap issues." Um, he was set to sign a three-year deal on two point one million. Now, due to the salary cap, and mm. you'd think this would have been done beforehand. So, the Tigers now sort of getting in the way. Where does that leave him? Does he? Just go back to the club and say, oh, sorry, boys, I'm, I'm back, or what happens? I don't know. It leaves him in a precarious <laughs> position, doesn't it? Sort of, um, doesn't it what? It's hard to go. You sack your manager. It's hard Jesus. to go cap, cap in hand back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, rugby league, it, uh, it is uh, the game that just keeps giving. Um, now, now, <laughs> now, what about boxing? Uh, Justice Hooney, this was a brilliant fight. Um, went the distance. He, he got a unanimous points decision over Joe Goodall, and it really sets him up for a world title. Mate, it does. So he was not expected really to win this match. So I was suggesting that Goodall would take him down. He showed his class as a boxer. Uh, this went 10 rounds. The final round, they went toe-to-toe trading blows. He took him on, but he won, as you said, unanimous decision. Now, this puts him into the top 15 in the IBF, WBO, and WBL, which means he can now fight for a world title. Imagine if we had a heavyweight title belt to our name in Australia. Well, that'd be fantastic. No, absolutely. Now, on that subject, what about Tyson Fury? Uh, oh. they, like, talk about an eye, eye-watering number uh, for him to get back in the ring. So they're saying, he, as we all know, retired recently and said, that's it, he's done, he's got everything, he's got fame, he's got money, he's got his health. He said, oh, we're not getting back in the ring again. Well, someone said, why don't you come back and I'll give you $348 million. <laughs> And he's training twice a day, Tim, funnily enough. Tell you what, I'd be out of bed too training for that. Jesus. Yeah, you could divide it by about 348 and I'd be prepared to do it. It'd be the, it'd be the biggest dive since Greg Luganis, but I would do it for sure. Now, um, the world game and the, the sporting gods, they must really hate poor old New Zealand when it comes to soccer. Our poor old mates across the ditch, yeah, they've had a bad oh. week. Uh, not only did they lose the unlosable, uh, the All Blacks losing to England in rugby, which would absolutely kill them, but... Uh, like us, we were, they were playing uh, a knockout game to try and make the World Cup in soccer. The All Whites are called, and they lost one nil to Costa Rica. So they had to go through the same route as us, play a South American team to qualify. We got through, and they've lost. So disappointing week for the Kiwis. Meanwhile, I'm happy to say I was wrong uh, regarding Graham Arnold. Uh, his mm. head probably was on the chopping block if. They didn't make the World no, no Cup, doubt. but it's a completely yep. different story now. They've made it and they've come home to a to a hero's welcome. Yeah, and uh, it's good to see Redmayne coming back and his kid there. And he, he said basically the last sort of 48 hours he spent about 16 of that in the pool and then he's on a flight mm. flying home. And, uh, yeah, he's really coming back to a, a real hero welcome and uh, good on him. It's, it's, it's a nice moment for him and he should really, really savour um, that thing because that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, we've mentioned the world of golf and how it's been really 
shook up by this whole Rebel League. And it's sort of downplaying the whole presence of the US Open in many ways, which is a real troubling thing for purists who absolutely love the game of golf. And I would have to classify myself as one of them, uh, you know, just a lowly B grader at a handicap of 17 or 18. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's troubling. But Cameron Smith, um, on a brighter note, the Australian mullet-wearing golfer, has come out and said he'd love to see a PGA Tour event in Australia. Now, that would do wonders, wouldn't it, for, for the golf game here? It would do, Tim. It's smart, and I think they're going to have to look at this sort of stuff now. The PGA, they have been somewhat arrogant and not trying to grow the game because they're trying to keep it pretty much a US thing. Um, so, yeah, good idea from, from Kemp Smith. I dare say Kemp Smith, his idea of a PGA tournament in Australia would be maybe an 18-hole putt-putt on the Gold Coast where you could have a beer in between, in between holes. That'd be the sort of thing Cam Smith would uh, push for, I think. Oh, he's a character. I, yeah. I think I told you once before, I was just walking around the lakes at the Australian Open and I'd been on the Today Show that morning talking about meat pies, which I've sort of made a <laughs> career of. And this bloke goes, oh, mate, did you have those pies this morning? I said, oh, yeah, definitely. I said, and we started talking. It was his dad. It was Cameron Smith's dad. <laughs> and he went on to tell me he was a pie-eating Queenslander, as was his son. And I had the opportunity to interview nice. him in Melbourne and Cameron said, oh, you're the pie eater. Um, <laughs> now, you mentioned 1999, um, Prince-like, I suppose, um, at the start of the podcast, and you've got a, a lovely tale of celebration to finish today. Well, just sticking with the theme of stories mm. today, that you do see uh, rich um, runs and veins of, of, of success in, in different countries at certain times. It's, it's funny how they all come together. And yeah. I think um, – Different sporting codes can inspire other codes within the country. That definitely happened in 1999, and I was lucky enough to be part of the 99 Cricket World Cup. But in 1999, we won the Cricket World Cup, the Rugby World Cup. We won the Netball World Cup. And the best thing to tell all my Pommy mates is that we we even with the, had the World Darts champion in 1999. We were unbeatable. And if you're beating the Poms at darts, <laughs> we know we've got them. And uh, I'm just saying that now with the, with the Poms, they're, they're doing – but well in cricket again, they're beating England. Uh, England are beating the All Blacks in rugby. Mm. Yeah, things things happen, and uh, yeah, it's interesting to see. But '99 was a great year. Can you give us a, a couple of bars of that Prince song? <laughs> I tell you, we party like it's '99. That's for sure. <laughs> That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. And when we mention the sponsor's name, I just get hungry, Shane. The stomach starts to rumble. But I was just thinking about District Brasserie. And if you feel like a little bit cold outside, if you feel like a nice, a really good wine list, by the way, a nice glass of red and a steak cooked over charcoal, mate, go there. It's fantastic. Goodness gracious, always feel like it. <laughs> and uh, a big thank you to our wonderful producer, Dan McHugh. We're back tomorrow with your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care. Building. Resilience Podcast. They play in different arenas, but sports and business have massive similarities. Elite athletes and top business leaders flourish through the physical and psychological demands their high-stress careers place on them. The Building Resilience Podcast explores the world of sport and deconstructs the tools and ethos of world-class athletes that can help us create growth and optimize business and life. Come find the Building Resilience Podcast on your favorite podcast app.